serve a good God, amen. Let's testify. Thank you. 
touching their body. We thank you, Lord, that you died not just to forgive us, but to heal us and to make us whole. And we pray, oh God, now, touch your people with your healing power. Father, in the name of Jesus, let healing virtue flow. Let that nagging pain disappear. Let that thing just begin to mend itself in the name of Jesus. Let that harassing thing just lift and lift until it's gone. And oh, Lord, let divine grace, strength, peace be imparted into every separate part. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, let's give the Lord a thank you. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your healing touch. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 
God's people said? God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning. So good to see everybody out in the house of the Lord. Pray everyone had a good Thanksgiving. We do have so much to be thankful for. Amen. I mean, besides the natural things that we just have an abundance, the eternal things, man, they can't be counted. Isn't that right? That's it. No one can snatch us from his hand. That comes right from the words of Jesus. That makes you want to run the aisle, don't it? I'm telling you, that spirit's willing. I know the body's not what it used to be, but that spirit, it still wants to take off every now and again. Amen? And the spirit reminds the knee. Amen. And we just stay in our place and shout from the inside, you know. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. The children are dismissed. And adults, if you have your Bible, if you would go to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. We're continuing our series from the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Most of us know the story, John the Apostle, as a very older man at this time. He was sent to the Isle of Patmos for preaching the gospel. It's like a penal colony. The Romans would just send you out there to this barren, rocky island. And um, as John was out there, the Bible says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Hey, if you're going to get in the Spirit, do it on the Lord's Day. Amen. And on the Lord's Day, he had a vision of Jesus. Jesus came to him in a vision. And Jesus begins by giving him seven messages to seven real churches in that area of much of its modern-day Turkey, of that area, seven different churches. And Jesus had a message for each one of them. And so there were letters to them, but there are lessons for us. Because at the end, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. So he's not only just speaking to them, a real church then, he speaks to every church and every believer today. Amen? So as we go through these letters, we're gleaning encouragement because there's encouragement in each one. But also there's some warnings where Jesus, the Lord Jesus, sees some things and he brings some correction. And we want to be able to learn so we don't make these mistakes. Amen? So if you would, Revelation, the second chapter, starting with verse 12, starting with verse 12, and we're going to go to Pergamum. And the Bible says to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name, and you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. He taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Verse 16, very frightening verse. This is in red. This is from Jesus. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them. With the sword of my mouth. Wow. I don't want Jesus coming and making war. Amen. Yeah. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one that's overcomes, the one that's victorious, 
I'll give him some of the hidden manna. And I'll also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to those who receive it. We're going to talk about Pergamos. Pergamos. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Help us to learn the lessons and to receive the encouragement from the words of our Savior. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, we continue our study in the Lord's messages to the seven churches in Revelation. We started out with Ephesus, and we said that church in Ephesus was, was a careless church, a careless church, because Jesus said you forsook your first love. And, and though they were a hardworking church, they were a solid and proper doctrine church, they left and lost the most important thing, and that was a fervent, sincere, personal love for the Lord Jesus. And Jesus told them, hey, you better get it back. Uh, unless you want to lose everything, you better get it back. Because nothing's more important than keeping your personal love for the Lord Jesus fervent and strong and real. Amen? And then we went to Smyrna. And Smyrna was a persecuted church. And they were so persecuted that they endured some natural poverty because they lost their jobs. And, and they were looted and they were robbed. Yet Jesus looks at them and says, you're rich. The world can look at you and have one opinion, but it's the opinion of heaven that really counts. Amen? And Jesus said to them, various, his words to them, he had no corrections. He just had a word of encouragement. He said, be fearless, even unto death, and be faithful. Amen? Be fearless, because I control even the persecutions of men. I'm still in control of it all. So be fearless when you're going under it. Don't be afraid. The Lord's in control of your life. Amen? But also be faithful, even unto death, no matter what happens. If you want to receive that crown of life, you've got to be faithful, even if it means death. Glory be to God. Now, today there's Pergamos, a compromising church. They, they were too tolerant. These next two churches became too tolerant. You know, you can become too tolerant. Certain things it's good to be tolerant of. Other things it's a sin to be tolerant of. How many know that? And we need to recognize that in this present world where they've made tolerance the, the a noble thing. And, well, if it's applied the wrong way, it could be a wicked thing. You see, and well, we're going to learn that here. See, they were not guilty of rejecting the faith, but of allowing ungodly practices and teachings to be mixed with the faith. And they'd say, well, we believe what you believe. But they allowed all this stuff in that Jesus said grieves me and wounds me and angers me. It's not enough just we believe the right things. We've got to reject the right things. You know what I mean? It's not just good enough to say I believe that. We also have to take a stand against that which is wrong and that which is sinful. So we're going to see that this church held firmly to the faith, even when it could have cost them their lives. One of their congregants was martyred. But then they still allowed sinful beliefs and behaviors to go on in the church. And they were in danger of coming to the place where the Lord was going to declare word, war, on this congregation. That verse 16, again, it's a dangerous, I mean, a scary verse where the Lord says, I'm getting ready to come. If you don't straighten out, if you don't get things right, I'm getting ready to come and declare war on what's going on. I don't want to be in that church. Amen. Now, Brother Wearsby writes, being willing to die for the faith is no substitute for living the faith. It's not enough to say, I believe what Granny believed, that I believe what they believed. You've got to live what they believed. Amen. You've you got to live what you supposedly believed. Now, Pergamum was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. And it was famous for its great library. There were 200,000 scrolls and parchments in this famous library. It was a very important religious center. It was the center for Caesar worship in that whole region. 
It had many other temples and shrines. I believe the, the temple of Zeus had, a, had an altar 200 feet high. The altar to Zeus. In fact, one of the false gods that they worshipped was the god of healing. People had come from all over the world to be healed of this false god. It was called Ascubulus. And the insignia was the intertwined serpent on a staff. That's the same insignia we use today, still in the medical world. And it came from the Greek false god here. It was a place of spiritual darkness and oppression. It was a place of real spiritual um, opposition and serious persecution. So we begin our lesson by looking at verse 12, and we start out by, notice the description of the Lord. Jesus gives himself the description, who has a sharp double-edged sword. He that has a sharp double-edged sword, that says at least two things it communicates to you and I. Number one, the sword speaks of judgment. The sword speaks of judgment. You see, Roman governors were divided into two classes. One had the right to the sword, the right to capital punishment. The other did not. One had the power to execute, to take life and death. The other did not. Pergamum did. Those civil leaders of these Christians were, were, were living. They had the right to execute. They had the right of capital punishment. They didn't have to ask Rome's permission. If they chose to unleash persecution on the church, they could unleash it and they could martyr those that they felt were becoming too much of a danger to their way of life and their idols, etc., etc. But here Jesus reminds us by calling himself the one with the double-edged sword. He reminds them and he reminds us that ultimately he has the final word and his sword or his power is greater than any governor, any empire, greater than Rome or any earthly um, president and so forth. Jesus Christ is the ultimate judge. And we thank the Lord that um, the Lord reminds you and I that we should never forget that ultimately the last word in everything comes from the risen Christ. The last word in everything, your life, my life, the community, it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ who is sovereign over all, even over the rule and kingdoms of men. And one day the Bible says he'll judge the living and the dead. But number one, the sword speaks of judgment, but the sword also speaks of the word of God, the word of God. He says the sword of his mouth, the sword of his mouth. He speaks of his word. The word of God is the greatest need for a worldly compromising church. And the word of God is the greatest tool to build a real healthy, spiritually healthy, vibrant, overcoming church. Paul writes in 2 Timothy that all scripture, the word of God has been given to you. All scripture is inspired of God and it's good for our building up, our correction, our training in righteousness that you and I can be a strong, healthy people equipped to do the will of God. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you want to be spiritually strong and spiritually healthy, you can't do it apart from feeding on the word of life, the bread of life, the substance and the nourishment for the soul. We all remember Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes 4 and 12, that the word of God is, is living and active. It's alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. That it penetrates the hearts of men. It divides, it discerns, it exposes. So we see the word of God is the greatest need for every church that wants to be a healthy church, a spiritually maturing church, a vibrant church, an overcoming church. And Jesus begins by describing himself to the church. And then he begins with, number one, his approval. Notice verse 13. This is also going to spend a good amount of time here. He begins by saying, I know where you live, 
where Satan has his throne. You know, like the brothers and sisters in Smyrna, the believers in Pergamos had suffered persecution, and one of them had actually even been martyred for being a Christian. And Jesus is going to give them three commendations, three, three approvals for what he sees in this congregation. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you can see those three things in our church and you can see those things in our lives. Number one, Jesus reminds them, and this should encourage every heart. He says he knew the circumstances of their faith. He knew the circumstances of their faith. He says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. I know the place where you dwell. It's a place where Satan rules and Satan's rule is strong in the place of your permanent residence. This is not a place they went to on business. This is not a place they went to on a vacation. This is a place they lived and raised their families. This is a place they went about their business and their careers. And the Bible says it's a place where Satan dwelt, but also the church of Jesus Christ dwelt there. Also in the place of darkness, there was a bright and shining light there. William Barclay writes, Here is something very important. The principle of the Christian life is not escape, but is conquest. They could have fled. They could have went and tried to find an easier place to live. I think about um, the other week when brother, when Dr. Spencer Jones was with us. And he told about his daughters that are teachers in some of the worst sections of Chicago. And then he mentioned, he says, because we always raise them, don't run from the problems. Do something about the problems. Do something about the problems. And here's a similar thing. Here in this church, they could have left. They could have made an excuse, but they stayed where God put them. And they decided to be part of the, the answer, not part of the problem, you know. And they tried, they could have tried to find an easier place. But they stood firm in the place where God set them, and they won the Lord's approval. And my friend, I want you to know the Lord's approval is the most important thing you could ever have. The most important thing in life is the approval of our Lord and of our King. We should strive and diligently pursue in our lives to make our lives priority to please the Lord and to gain the approval of the Lord. It makes little difference about the approval of men if I don't have the approval of God. It makes very little difference if I get the approval of the Chamber of Commerce, but I don't get the approval of my Savior and my King. So, friend, in your home and in your business and in your worship, diligently pursue the approval of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? He says, I know where you live. And for you and I, God knows the circumstances of our faith. God knows all about the circumstances that we are doing our best to live out this faith. He knows where we live and he knows what we face. He knows what your workplace is like. He knows what your home is like. He knows your neighborhood. And it reminds us through his scripture that you and I can make it even in the hard places. That you and I can make it by the grace of God even in the rough seasons of life. He says, I know where you live. I know Satan dwells there. And spiritually, it's a hard place, and it's a dark place, and you don't get a lot of support. You're not in the Bible Belt, but I'm with you in that place, and my grace is sufficient to give you strength in that place, and I will watch over you in that place. Somebody, you might be in a hard place. Your circumstances aren't easy, and God's not telling you to run. He's telling you to stand and be a bright and shining light and know that the Lord thy God is with thee, and he'll watch over you, and it's great. Grace will be sufficient for you. The living Christ speaks to his people this morning. I know the environment in which you're doing your best to live out the faith. 
Because again, it's not enough just to say, I believe, I believe. What you believe will send you to hell if you're not living it. Give me an amen. Thank you. The living Christ tells us, people, I know the environment. I know your specific. He knows your story. And he's well pleased with his faithful ones. And he reminds us this morning that I'm with you. And my grace is sufficient for you. For I watch over my children and I am building my church and not even the gates of hell can prevail against it. And you're part of it. That means the gates of hell won't prevail against you. I know your circumstances. I know where you're at. And I know what you're battling. What comforting words from our Savior and our King. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number one, he says, I know your circumstances. I know the circumstances of your faith. But number two, he says, he knew the conviction of their faith. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Circumstances. Yet, you remain true to my name. The convictions. He knew the conviction of their faith. Despite being in an evil surrounding, the church was holding on to the name of Christ, the name of Jesus. They were committed to the doctrine of Christ. They were committed to the person and name of Jesus. They stood loyally to the name of Jesus in a place where Satan had his throne. They refused to deny Jesus. Never ever be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Never ever be timid to talk about the name of Jesus. And never, never dishonor that name. But always reference that name. And let that name be holy in your life. Not always popular or convenient. It might cost us friends, family. It might cost promotions. But friend, you've got to love Jesus more than all of it. Hear me again. You've got to love Jesus. You're a real Christian. You've got to love Jesus more than all those things. And you've got to be willing to say it and stand for it. You know, once a year they could have went to Caesar's temple. That's really all it entailed. Go to that temple and pinch that incense. Say Caesar is Lord. Once a year they could have went to that temple, dropped a pinch of incense on the altar, and avoided so much heartache, opposition, but they refused. But they refused. It's good to see some people with convictions. I mean, you got to preach conviction to get conviction, but it's good to see people with some convictions. Amen? We're in the age of throw your convictions out. But they knew better because they knew that there was only one Lord and his name was Jesus. And only at that name do we bow and do we pray. They could have gone quietly about their business, not mentioning Jesus except in church. But they refused to do so. They wanted their loved ones to know about Christ. They wanted their friends to hear the gospel of Christ. They wanted their neighbors to know the good news of the salvation of Christ. They knew that the gospel and only the gospel is the power of God and salvation. Oh, friend, they bore testimony to Jesus Christ without shame, without compromise. They refused to deny him even when standing for him cost something. They refused to bow their knee to anybody but him. I pray that God would grant you and I this morning 
a greater burden and a greater boldness to tell others about Jesus Christ and to stand firm for our Savior and our King. I pray that God would give us a greater burden and a greater boldness to tell others that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. He's the only way of salvation. He's the only name given to men whereby we must be saved. Oh, that God would give. Sometimes we're so bold about foolish things. We're bold about what truck we drive. We're bold about some silly things. But when it comes to the things of God, we're timid like mice. Oh, that God would give us a boldness and a burden to tell others about the Lord and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Let us remain true to the name of Jesus. We must love that name. We must live lives that honor that name. And we must always be ready to talk and tell others about that name. This is the approval of the Lord upon this church that was doing their best to live in a very dark, persecuted, heavy place. Jesus reminds them and he encourages them. He knew the circumstances of their faith. He knows what you're going through. He knows the circumstances that you're doing your best to live for the glory of God. He knew the conviction of their faith. And he was so pleased with them. Even when people were being martyred, they wouldn't shrink back from loving that name. They wouldn't apologize to praising that name and being bold in that name. Number three, he knew the courage of their faith. Again, from verse 13, he says, I know where you live. Yet you remain true to my name. And here we go. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. He knew the courage of their faith, and he applauded it. He said, you didn't renounce your faith in me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness. Wow. Jesus said that about this guy. That's pretty neat, isn't it? I wish he could say something good about me like that. Amen. Jesus said this about this guy. Wow. And the Lord applauds their courage in the face of their persecution, their sorrow, their temptation, in the place where society is trying to press them and pressure them to conform. If there was ever a time to turn back, when they martyred the first one, maybe that would have been the time. If there's ever a time to compromise, and maybe, maybe that was the time. And friend, everyone has such, you're going to have such a time in your life. Man, your older saints, been around the blocks, had been there, done that, gone through it more than once. Amen? There, there are times when you could have backed, so there are times when you could have said enough. My dearest friends, Pastor Allen, he was here some years ago, pastors outside Cleveland. And his mom just passed away this last week. She's 86. Oh, godly woman, godly woman. And I can remember years ago, back when we started out Bible school, Pastor Allen and I, we grew up same church, and we were made it for three years in Bible college. I can remember those early days, responding to the call, and she'd drive us up, our parents would drive us up, and she'd always say, boys, she's a little Italian lady, boys, number one, she always say, always pray. Be men of prayer. Boys, remember, little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. But then she'd always say, boys, remember, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't put your eyes on men. Men will disappoint you. You keep your eyes on the Lord. You keep your eyes on the Lord. Oh, 
Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Mm. Everyone has a time when you can be tempted to compromise, to go back to the world, to try to find some compromise with a lifestyle that you know is not really wholehearted Christianity. Everyone has such a time. You look at the world, you can get bitter. You look at circumstances, what men do at times, they can just turn you off to the whole thing. But when you keep your eyes on the Lord. You see, every true Christian must make up their minds that whatever happens, whoever leaves me, whatever it costs, I will never stop loving, living, and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. He will always come first in my life. You make that decision now. You don't make it in the time of testing. You don't make it in the time when your loved one dies. You don't make it in the time when people speak mean. You make that, if you haven't made it, you make it today. That regardless of what comes your way, you are going to serve the Lord. You're going to put Jesus Christ first and foremost. If everybody backslides, you're going on with God. You've got to make that a decision. I remember reading an author, he was on a private plane. There's a handful of people. And um, emergency lights went on, something went wrong with the plane, and the pilot had to make an emergency landing. And the author said, I, I was not at his level, but I had my pilot's license for smaller planes. So I knew a little bit about what was happening. And, you know, this engine went out, and it was terrible weather, and he just, boom, 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 and he landed us, emergency landing, and, as we're getting out, just maybe six or seven of us on the plane, i got to ask you, when did you decide to hit that maneuver? Because so much happened so quick. When did you? He said, about 20 years ago. 20 years ago, he said, sir, I'm a professional pilot. I've gone through every scenario you can think of and then some. I went through all these things 20, 30 years ago when I started flying. If this happened, that's how I would respond. If that takes place, that's what I'm going to do. As a Christian, we make up our minds first and foremost, whatever happens, I'm going on with God. Amen? I'm going on with God. I'm going on with God. Isn't that right? He wasn't ashamed of me. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. You see, not too much is talked about Antipas, but Jesus gives him an impressive description. What is it that gives men and women courage in the face of pressures and threats and persecutions like that? I believe, number one, that courage came as a result of, number one, they had an absolute commitment to God. They had an absolute commitment to God. Now, this is so important. This is what we're kind of talking about now. Many hang around but never get to the place of making an absolute commitment to God. Many grow up in church. Many find it comfortable enough to be around us. And they know things because they sat in Sunday school. But they never came around to making an absolute commitment. Sink or swim, I'm going on with Jesus. And then sometimes we wonder how they backslide so quick. But they never came to a point in their life, not just nodding their head and saying, it's all right if you want to jump up and down, I'll sit around and I'll accept. No, no, they never came to the point where they made a firm, absolute commitment to God. And said, I'm giving my life to Jesus no matter what it costs me. And until a person makes that decision, I don't know how truly saved they are. There's something in that Bible that says, eh, there might be a false positive thing going on here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I believe men and women that have courage to go on with God, even in the hard places. Jesus said Satan lives there. They worship Caesar there. It's a dark place. It's a place you can lose your job for being a Christian. It's a place where they get mad enough at you. They loot your stores and no one's going to give you any justice. How do you like that? America, we've got to watch out. Some people are more on fire for their political cause than the Lord Jesus Christ. Shame on you. They'll go crazy for their rights. You know why they like their rights? Because they're selfish. Let's lay down some rights and give Jesus our all and go forward in God. Come on, say amen. I know we don't like to hear that. Someone's got to preach it nonsense after a while. Let's put Jesus first. Let's put Jesus first. Let's make up our minds. Sink or swim. We're going on with God. Sink or swim. I belong to Jesus. He shed his blood for me, and I'm serving him. Come on, say amen. I'll tell you, this last couple of years has exposed a lot of junk in the church, too. Yeah. That wasn't in the notes. We're going to hear it. We'll fight more about our God-blessed rights than the kingdom. Let's put Jesus first. Let's put souls first. Let's put living for eternity first. Amen? Yeah. I beg you back to them notes. Come on. So I was asking about how do you, how are you courage, courageous? Because, you know, you've been around the block. You see people backslide. Why, why do they backslide? Well, they, they, some of them never front slid. They never came to a place where they made an absolute commitment to God. They might have come to agree and understand doctrine about God, but they never came to a place where they made a firm commitment to God. But these are men and women in this church. They had made up their minds. They were going to serve the Lord regardless of the cost. They took up a firm stand. They had an unwavering allegiance and commitment to God and His Word. They counted the cost, and they said, come what may, we belong to Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And regardless if no one goes with us, we're going on for our Lord and for our King. Reminds us of that story of the three Hebrews from the book of Daniel. Most of us know that story. They say, go ahead, throw us in the fire if you must. But we refuse to bow to any false god. Our allegiance is settled. Number one, courage comes as a result of making an absolute commitment to God. And if you haven't done that before you leave, make, I dare you, I challenge you, make a commitment to God. So I'm not just religious. I'm not just a Bible Belt Christian. I'm a wholehearted believer devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to serve Him and I'm going to obey Him and I'm going to walk with Him regardless. Secondly, I believe they had an absolute confidence in God. They had absolute commitment to God, but also a confidence in God. They were able to stand firm in a, in a place like that, not run or not give in. But they had confidence that their God would keep them, that he wouldn't throw on them more than they could handle, but he knew his grace was sufficient for them. They had a confidence in God. Our God is mighty to save. Our God is mighty to keep us, even when we go through the fiery trials of life. Our God is able to work all things together for good. Even the things that hell throws against us. He'll work it out. He'll work it out. It's not over yet. The last chapter hasn't been written yet. You won't get that chapter till you see Jesus. But oh, he'll work it all. He'll work it all. They had an absolute confidence in God. 
They knew our God reigns and our God is able and our God is with us and if God be for us. Like that sign in the barber shop, in God we trust, all others pay cash. But in God we trust. That's our motto, in God we trust. Storms may hit us, but in God we trust. Society might forsake us, but in God we trust. Satan might attack us, but in God we trust. Things might come and hit us that we didn't expect, but we trust in the Lord with all our hearts, and we don't lean on our own understanding, but we'll cast our burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain us, and He will carry us, and He will bring us safely to the other side. He is a God that makes away even when there seems to be no way. He is a God that says I hold you in the palm of my hand and no trial temptation can snatch you out of it. They had a confidence in God and when you truly have a confidence in God you can stand firm in faith. You can stand firm in obedience. You can stand firm in the place God has placed you and know that he is in control. I am in his hand and he will will work all things together for the good. Somebody say amen. We're discouraged. Why do they backslide so quick? Never had a commitment. They had a mental agreement to a doctrine, but a mental agreement even to the right doctrine is not enough to save your soul. There's a commitment to the person of that doctrine. His name is Jesus. And it's a commitment that says sink or swim. Good times or bad times. I'm going to love the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to obey the Lord. They had an absolute commitment to God. An absolute confidence in God. They had an absolute consciousness of God. Remember the old days? Old school. I'm young. I remember the old school. You wouldn't want to be there if Jesus Jesus came. No, Sister Shambach. That's how they were raised. You want to be someplace? When Jesus came, he could come any minute. Would you want to be there if Jesus came? See, a God consciousness that helps you stay in the straight and narrow. Isn't that right? They're an absolute consciousness of God. Their God wasn't an idol. Their, Their God couldn't be locked away in a temple. See, them false gods are nice. They're real convenient. You can go do your thing, lock them up, and they don't bug you no more. Amen? You pay your pinch your, your thing, your incense, and go about your business. But not this God. Woo! Oh, my. Oh, no. Their God wasn't an idol. He wasn't a faraway deity, a man-made statue. He wasn't somewhere locked up in a temple at closing hour. No, no, no. Nor was he a philosophy of life. Nor was he a a moral code that could easily be adjusted and adapted and changed to suit our taste and to suit our desires. Oh, no, no, no. Their God was a very present God and a very holy God. Somebody say holy. Holy. Almost made that a bad word in God's own house. I'm telling you, we're going backwards nowadays. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Present God, holy God. They had awareness of Emmanuel. (laughs) God with us. He's not just with you when you need him. He's with you all the time. The God who walks with his people escorts us and observes us. 
as we go through every fire, every trial, and every flood. God is here. We shall not be moved. God is here. And we shall walk accordingly. When you get home, look up. Take your honey by the hand. Say, God is here. And we shall walk accordingly. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. God is here. And we shall not be God is here. And we shall walk accordingly. Oh, my, 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 my. The approval, the approval, the approval. Hallelujah. Jesus approved of this. He applauded this congregation who are living out their faith in a very hard, oppressive, dark city. But Jesus, I know and I am pleased. He knew the circumstances. Just like he knows ours. He knew their conviction. Like he knows ours. And he knew their courage. And he applauded them. And he encouraged them. But then verse 14. He has something to say to them. Take a look at verse 14. Nevertheless. I have a few things against you. There are some among you. Who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Verse 15, likewise, you also hold those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Now, these are topics that on Wednesday nights we can take weeks and go deeper. We don't have a lot of time for that, but but I would be irresponsible not to at least touch on it. As you can say, it wasn't the bulk of the message. I didn't think it needed to be. But I will touch on something. Despite their courageous stand against persecution, the church at Pergamos was not faultless before the Lord. Satan had not been able to destroy them by coming against them as a roaring lion, but he was making inroads as a deceiving serpent. Oh, yeah. A group of compromising people had infiltrated the church. And Jesus hated their doctrine and their practices. If you go back to Ephesus, the first church we studied, we talked about the Nicolaitans. And Jesus, I hate their practices. The doctrine of Balaam, well, without getting too deep in it, let's put it like this. If you can't curse them, corrupt them. Remember that false prophet, he, he tried to curse them and he couldn't. So he said, well, if we can't curse them because God's protecting them, we'll just try to sway them and seduce them. And they got him to commit immorality. If you can't curse them, corrupt them. And today false teachers attempt to take the divine doctrine of grace and use it as a license to sin. It's a terrible twisting and perverting of the truth. This church believed the right things, but then allowed false teachings and teachers to come in unchecked and undealt with And it was a corrupting and defiling the church. Because listen, friend, wrong believing will lead to wrong behaving. That's why we have to be a Bible people. Walk in love, walk in compassion, of course, of course. But unwilling to compromise the clear teachings of the word of God. Dr. David Jeremiah writes about 
this church. He says the majority of believers at Pergamum did not participate in the errors of either heretical group. They remained steadfastly loyal to Christ and to the Christian faith. But by tolerating the groups and refusing to exercise church discipline, they shared in their guilt, which brought about judgment. You see, the church did not understand how serious things were. But again, verse 16, very, the words of Jesus are very serious and sober, aren't they? These are the words of Jesus. I'm going to come and make war? Wow. I don't know about you, but that's frightening. When the one that holds our next breath says that, it's frightening. Amen? Yeah, yeah. You know, some things are worse than they appear. One day a woman went and had to show her driver's license for an ID check. She looked at the clerk, he was a young guy, and she said, please don't pay any attention to that awful picture. It shows what I'll look like when I'm dead. The young kid, he looked, he stared at the license and said, oh, no, ma'am, they'll make you look better than that. Amen. They'll make you look better than that. Some things are worse than they appear. It looked like you needed a joke about then. But anyway, the words of Christ's warning are sober and serious, especially to us who are professing to believe the Bible is the word of God. Our rule, our governing truth. I'm going to finish this up, but I want you to get this. This is some stuff we do on Wednesday nights, some of the latter stuff. We go a little deeper. I, want, I try to aim towards discipleship on Wednesday nights, so go a little deeper. Letters to them and lessons to us. Let me just teach you through this. Let me give you some basic principles for a healthy individual and a healthy congregation. I want to preface this so that accidentally we don't raise up spiritual vigilantes. We don't need that. I want you to recognize there's a difference between imperfect yet trying versus flat-out disobedient and rebellious. There's a difference between someone that's imperfect yet trying than someone that's just flat-out disobedient and rebellious. None of us are perfect. We're all on the journey. Everyone's growing. But there's a whole different thing of just totally knowing right from wrong and just saying, forget you, I'm going to do what I want to do. There's a difference, difference there, okay? There's a difference between babes in Christ where they have an allowance to learn and to grow and overcome things than mature believers and or leaders where the Bible says much is required to whom much is given. And they're called to be an example and they're held to a higher standard. There's a difference. There's a difference. Know a healthy congregation needs to know that, number one, Christ wants us to believe and behave as Christians. If you call yourself a Christian, then act like one. If you say you believe the Bible, then live your life according to the Bible. How's that? Is that easy? Did I make it easy? I didn't get too deep on you, did I? You try to keep it simple. See, I just want you to know, walking with God is simple. It's all a matter of desire. All a matter of desire. I've seen people that have accomplished many, many things because they desire to. And that starts with a desire. God cares how his people live. And if we use his name, he expects us to live according to that standard. Secondly, God expects us to live, kind of connecting here, according to the word of God. Let's be clear. We don't get to adjust this to suit our lifestyle and our preferences. Our lifestyle has to get adjusted to this. Amen? Amen? 
You see, listen, how you treat the Bible is how you're treating Jesus. He is the word, you know. Amen? This is his word. Amen? We say all this because you know what? As we learn from this study here at Pergamon, he expects his church to police itself, not the world. Sometimes the church can get really, you're going to point out all them lousy, I can fill in blanks, all the wicked sin of our culture. And there's a lot of wicked sin. But when we study this, he says, listen, you be salt and light, you preach the gospel. You be my ambassador. But if you're going to please, please, please here. Please yourself. Please the church. He, he wasn't coming to judge them because of all the terrible things that were happening in the city. He was coming to judge them because of the terrible things that were happening in the So there's other principles. Don't, don't be, you know, we get caught up sometimes. Let a man examine. Yeah. Yeah. Where to be salt, where to be light. And again, these are things we study, and we have in times past. On Wednesday nights, we study topics like church discipline and so forth, the reason for the proper way to go about it, the importance of it. We go through that. But we see this, that Jesus saying, I, I'm going to come if you don't deal with this, because you're supposed to be dealing with it. I'm not going to come and deal harshly because they're worshiping Caesar across the street or, or they're bowing to the, you know, the blessed whatever down the road. I'm not doing No, I'm coming because among those that should know better, among those that have my word and that call on my name, they're allowing things to come in that are unaccept clearly unacceptable. And again, there's a difference between just growing and not quite there yet and making mistakes and no one's perfect. If, we threw out, if you had to be perfect, none of us would be here. Amen? We have an empty pulpit and empty pew. So that's not the point. But the point is we get so caught up in pointing our finger at that party and that and that. And God says, let a man or woman examine himself. And then lastly, the last thought there. As an individual or a congregation, here's the bottom line. Just write it down. If you don't judge yourself, God will judge you. But I'm a Christian. You didn't hear what I said. If you don't judge yourself, God will judge you. Any, anyone ever read the communion chapter that, that you love so much? Let a man examine himself. For if we judge ourselves, we won't have to be what we see in our text. He's saying, if you'll deal with these things, I won't have to come and deal with you. You know, when my guys, when my boys were little, we'd drive to school and I would attempt to teach them about self-discipline or self-control. I'd always say to them, their little guys, say, now guys, if you don't discipline yourself, someone else will have to. Typically meaning me or mommy, right? Someone else will have to. Then I said, you know what? I said, boys, always remember this. The prisons are full. The prisons are full of people that would not discipline themselves, that wouldn't or couldn't discipline themselves. So someone else had to. The principle of Scripture is that if we don't examine and discipline ourselves, God will. God will. And this is what Jesus is bringing out here. The church of Pergamum. 
we learn the importance of living and believing properly as Christ has called us to live. That we that call on that name and identify with that great name that's above every name should honor that name and how we live and how we represent him. Amen? But we also see in this how the Lord was aware of their circumstances and how he was with them in the place that they were dwelling and doing their best to live out their faith just like he is with us. Letters to them, lessons for us. So as we close, now listen, if, if you never really made a sincere, I didn't say you didn't believe, but you never really said, you know what? I'm making a firm commitment to God. I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what. And I'm going to put him first. I'm not talking about mentally what I believe. A lot of believed right mentally for a lot of years, but never just came to that point and said, Lord, I'm yours. I'll never turn back. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that. You're here today, I want you to receive the encouragement and trust the Lord to give you what you need for the place that you dwell. I know sometimes escape sounds, it's like the burden lifts. And there's sometimes God brings us out of things and we shout, saying, thank you, Lord. But there's sometimes he says, stay there. My grace will be sufficient for you right there. And so... I'd ask you, maybe you can commit to the Lord the place where you are dwelling and make a fresh commitment to the Lord, give me the grace I need to live it out in the place where I'm at. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. We're going to pray the prayer, and then we're going to sing the song. If you need prayer, please come, and we'll pray for you. If not, just let's just sing this and thank the Lord that he's with us. He knows the place. He knows the circumstances of your life. He knows where you are attempting to live out your faith. And if you're here today, maybe you grew up in this thing. Maybe you know doctrine. Maybe you believe proper doctrine. But you never really came to the place. You might have asked him to forgive you, but you never came to the place and said, Lord, from this moment on, I am making a firm, unwavering commitment to you. And I'm going to obey the Bible, and I'm going to live for Jesus the rest of my days, regardless of any temptation, any hardship, or any persecution. If you haven't done that, I'm going to ask you to do that. Because that's the most important thing, a firm commitment to God that will not be shaken by anything life can throw against you. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for the assurance that we have of your divine presence. You know where we live. You know what we deal with. You know what we face. You are aware of our battles. You're aware of our bruises. You're aware. Your grace is sufficient. Lord, in the place you've placed us, in this present season of life, Give us fresh grace and strength to obey you, to please you, and to honor you in our present place. We're not asking to run, Lord. When you say it's time for a change, we'll embrace it and we'll shout about it. But Lord, in our present place, we make a fresh commitment and we ask for a fresh strength.
we make a fresh commitment. We ask for a new grace to live it out in our place in a way that honors you. And Lord, if anyone's here and hasn't made that commitment, that Lord, I will give you my all every day of my life. I will do my best to live for you, to obey you, regardless of who leaves me, regardless of who laughs at me, regardless of how cruel life is to me. I will never, Jesus, Jesus, I will never stop loving you and serving you. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, help us, Lord, to be bold in our witness, to be uncompromising in our walk. And Lord, I pray, touch these dear ones that are here today. Give grace and strength. Lord, for those that need a touch, give them a touch. For those that need a fresh drink from your river, let the river flow. And let there be refreshing and renewing a strength for their soul. And now, Lord, as we come and pray at this altar, let the wind of heaven blow and let divine refreshing come. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, if you need prayer, come. If not, 